We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, everyone. I'm Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. On Perpetual Chess, I have weekly conversations with the chess world's best players, promoters, and educators about their lives, careers, current projects, and best practices. Perpetual Chess is brought to you through the generosity of its Patreon and PayPal supporters. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. everyone welcome back to perpetual chess we have a return guest today he was a popular character in season one of perpetual chess he's gotten even more popular he's got forty-one thousand youtube subscribers somehow i looked away for a minute and his channel exploded um he's well known recently for beating magnus carlson both accidentally and on purpose online he's an international master also a photographer a twitter master and a reporter uh i am eric rosen thanks for coming back to perpetual chess it's great to be back ben thanks for having me yet again yeah and you're in st louis you said i know you had a tournament a couple weeks ago but but what made you stick around well, I actually moved here. Um, I'm living, I've been living here since the beginning of April, like right after U.S. championships. Um, I spent kind of the last two years living very nomadically. And um, I decided I'd want a home base and so many friends in St. Louis and the chess culture is so great here. So it was funny how I got a place here because on April 1st, I posted on Twitter, also made a YouTube post, that I would be moving into the Chespra apartment in St. Louis. And everyone thought it was April Fool's. Yeah, but, I was going to um, say, I know where this story is going, but keep going. But yeah, it's actually true. Like uh, Eric Hansen has a place here, and it's a two-bedroom apartment, had an extra bedroom, um, amazing location, uh, very affordable. And um, yeah, it's been great so far. 
That's funny because even so, I remembered that tweet. So I went back to look at it in preparation mm-hmm. for this interview, and seeing it was April first and it was passed, and reading through the comments, I couldn't figure out if it's real or not. And I decided going down an April Fool's rabbit hole wouldn't wouldn't be the best use of our <laughs> interview time. But now the mystery is solved. So h- how are you liking uh, living in St. Louis? Um, it's great. Um, I mean, especially living in the Central West End. I'm walking distance from the Chess Club. Um, it's been, uh, it's been very nice so far. There's shops and restaurants and Whole Foods nearby. And, um, I've, I've really, really enjoyed it so far. And it must've been a nice feeling. So you just played recently in the, sorry, I always, these names, St. Louis Norm Congress. Thank you. It was in this uh, outline somewhere. Um, I know that they often involve the seasons, but this one didn't, the the titles of the tournament. But anyway, it must've been a nice feeling playing in that tournament and just being able to walk over and play your games. That's true. Yeah, it was very convenient. I mean, just 10 minute walk to, uh, to get to the the chess club. Um, I will say though, that I had kind of had this goal not to play much competitive chess since like getting back from my, my extended international trip. And then about a month before the tournament, uh, I was invited and the conditions at the St. Louis chess club are, um, just always so amazing. And like the finest details are, are paid attention to. So it was a, a difficult invitation to turn down. And, um, yeah, overall it was nice to get back and play some, uh, some com- competitive chess. Yeah, and it looked like you did pretty reasonably. How did how did you feel? What was your evaluation of uh, how it went for you? Yeah, I think in the the first few rounds, I had had some very messy games. Like my first game, I was white, and I blundered on move thirteen, and I thought I was just going to lose like really quickly. But somehow, I I was able to like regroup myself during the game. And after I blundered, I I spent like thirty five minutes digging for any sort of like possibility to to come back and i found what i think in hindsight was the strongest continuation i i fought on and almost won the game ended in a draw as my um my game against aaron jacobson um and then after that game i played rochelle Wu, and she was completely crushing me i think the computer said like plus eight for her and somehow i drew that and then um and then like in the last round of the tournament i was um I was very close to tying for first. If I won my last round, I would have tied for first. So I, I was able to rebound, but um, final round game was a draw. So I finished in, I think, a tie for third. So can't yeah. be too, too disappointed with the overall result. Yeah, and outperformed your, your FIDE rating a little bit, as I recall. That's true. Now, actually, um, another thing I did differently for this tournament, which I've never done before, was I recorded every single like preparation session for each opponent. I also streamed every game review. Um, I was a bit inspired by Nakamura because he did, he at least uh, streamed his game reviews during US championships and he had a very good result. So I was kind of doing extra work between rounds to, uh, to produce some content for, uh, for the online audience. 
And that's how you get 41,000 YouTube subscribers, ladies and gentlemen. No, yeah. Well, that's, that's how I try and keep it up. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I saw, I caught, I was just catching up on your channel and I caught one of the uh, pre, um, one of the preparation videos and I really liked the idea. I hadn't, uh, to my knowledge, I hadn't seen anything like that done. And, and of course, it's a nice way to learn an opening. And to, I know uh, in our previous interview, you mentioned the importance of knowing your way, knowing one's way around chess base. So it was a, a nice way to see like sort of how, how a strong player prepares. Sure. Yeah, I was actually a bit hesitant in like deciding to record and, and post those because they're not the standard sort of instructive videos where I'm explaining like simple concepts to, to beginners, which is a, a large portion of people who watch chess videos on YouTube. And then I was also, of course, hesitant because I'm sharing secrets and I'm sharing prep that um, I might want to use in the future. But uh, I'm at a point right now where I'm I'm focusing way more on like just education and um, also just experimentation, trying to to find new new ways of content and and share kind of the the ins and outs of um, of trying to play high level chess. Yeah, so you you kind of have to throw it out there and then see if it resonates and you know do more of what works and less of what doesn't. So exactly. So yeah. how did you feel like it landed with with your subscriber base? Where was the feedback mostly good or I mean like and do you look more at the comments when you evaluate something like that or do you look more at the impressions and views and all that stuff? Yeah, that's a good question. Um I I look at both, of course. Uh feedback has been very positive and like sometimes this is this is one of the challenges with YouTube cuz especially YouTube comments have a reputation of sometimes being toxic and yes. there can be trolls. But from what I've seen, at least across like the chess community and uh, in my videos, I mean, it's, it's a lot of positive, uh, positive feedback, but um, there's also some criticism and I try and um, I mean, I, I read a lot of the comments and try and incorporate whatever like requests uh, people have um, and for these videos specifically, I found the preparation sessions get far less viewership than other videos I do. I think just because they're targeted to um, like just higher level audience. I would imagine the, the intended rating range for someone watching those types of videos is at least 1800. But um, the game review videos get, uh, get a lot more exposure and, and viewership. Yeah, I actually filtered your videos for most popular so i have mm. kind of my own conclusion about this but what's what's your general conclusion about what what seems to resonate the most um yeah that that's also an interesting question sometimes it just depends on the youtube algorithm like what what exactly people are paying attention to and commenting on and watching all the way through I've I have realized like certain patterns with uh, with videos like any videos that mention like tricky openings yeah, that's... or opening traps yeah um, or even like okay Magnus Carlsen um, like there's certain keywords that I think are um, are are very much able to boost the kind of the visibility of of a video yeah the openings generally and opening traps in particular was what I noticed as well. And of course, on this podcast, uh, me and some other guests are, are constantly harping on, like uh, preaching not to uh, overemphasize openings. So 
I'm thinking mm-hmm. it might be a slightly different audience um, <laughs> between between this podcast and the the you know legions of people tuning into your videos. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a good like good number of people out there who are interested in chess, and like when you're first beginning chess, sometimes learning the learning the first few moves of, of an opening is easiest and, and most interesting to uh, to pursue. So, yeah, I mean, it um, sort of gives you a map at least. Exactly. Yeah. And there, there is one video I have. It was actually my first, like the first ever live stream I did on Twitch. I ended up posting to YouTube. And it was called something like Beating People with Tricky Openings. And when I streamed it on Twitch, there were maybe one to three viewers because um, my channel is brand new. But now the video on YouTube has like a quarter million views. So it's, uh, it's wow. pretty crazy how those things can uh, take off. Yeah, the numbers just just astound me because, mm-hmm. you know, this podcast gets about like 3,500 downloads an episode or something like that, which oh. I'm happy with. I have no complaints. I'm, I am I enjoy it and I, you know, I'm happy that it resonates with enough people to, to allow me to keep doing it. But then I see the YouTube numbers and I think about like I'm having trouble keeping up with emails and stuff like that. And I didn't like uh, listener emails and I didn't used to have that problem. So when the numbers are like almost tenfold uh, what the audience is for the podcast, to me, it's just like, wow, how do you even function? Yeah, it's uh, it can be tough. And I mean, especially these days, messages can come in from, I mean, just a, a myriad of, of platforms between email and social media, YouTube comments and like the chess platform, like LeeChess and Chess.com. So it's it's hard to balance. And sometimes you just have to filter through messages. And um, and I, I'm working on like an FAQ section on my website where where I'll, I'll at least be able to direct people to like the, the most commonly asked questions. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Well, in a, in a less commonly asked question, Eric, I did want to circle back to you mentioning mm-hmm. um, your, you having made a conscious decision to de-emphasize tournament chess uh, mm-hmm. before you couldn't resist the offer from the St. Louis Chess Club. So w- what made you take that decision? Um, I think it's been a combination of things. It's not to say that I will not be, like I'm retiring or anything. Um, I felt a little burnt out. I played, uh, well, I took like a very long international trip uh, from November through February uh, this this last, uh, this most recent um, year. And I played these back-to-back tournaments in Australia where it was, it was basically 18 days in a row of chess with no rest day. And I found that it was, it was just hard to be productive uh, like during a tournament as the games go along and then you, you spend time preparing for the next round and um, to, to keep up um, kind of my, my online brand and business. It, it's not easy during, uh, during a competition. Um, and also I've, I know, like, for me, I'm, I'm an international master. The, the obvious next step is to get the grandmaster title. But um, I've, I've made the decision that I want to pursue more, more education, more of the online, of online brand and online projects, um, rather than um, taking chess, like, so professionally in terms of playing. Um, but I will be playing in a couple months in Montreal. Um, 
there's an invitational tournament there. I'm, I'm still very much trying to use chess as uh, as a vehicle for travel. So cool. Yeah. Have you been to Montreal? I've not. I've actually never been to Canada. So really looking forward to it, and especially in the summertime, it it should be nice. Yeah, I haven't been there in the summer, but people say it's like like life altering in the summer. I was there in like the dreary winter and it's a really cool city even then. So, Mm -hmm. um, I was invited uh, to play there in January. Um, it was the same time. I think I was in probably like Thailand or Indonesia and there is no way I was going to, to Canada in January, especially from like Southeast Asia. Yeah. Yeah. That would be, um, that would be a bad move. Yeah. Um, so are your landlords running this tournament, the chess bras? Um, so it's actually Lafong Hua, who uh, he's a FIDE master. Um, I don't think he's considered like formally a chess bra, but uh, he's definitely with. I've the seen him network. in their videos, though. Yeah. 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 No, he's he's been around probably in some of the, the older videos that they've done. But um, yeah, he's I think he's organized this tournament um for the last year or two and it's it's intended for um a lot of talented like canadian junior players so i feel like there's going to be a a target on my back being kind of one of the ims and it's an im norm invitational so uh so yeah we'll see how it goes cool do you think you're going to keep going with um recording your preparation i think i'll try yeah especially if the if i know the pairings like well beforehand then I'll just try and record preparation sessions before the tournament. And that way I'll, I'll hold myself accountable too. That's another thing that I think doing the sort of content um, provides in terms of the strength is, is accountability. So um, yeah, ho- hoping to do that, but we'll see. Uh, cool. Yeah. I mean, I encourage you to, to keep it up. I found it pretty interesting and yeah, give it at least um it's one more tournament, see how it resonates with people and take it from there. But, but yeah, I mean, as I said, I hadn't seen anything like it. So, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure as time goes on, people will, when they search whatever individual opening, you know, if yours is named in the headline, they'll, they'll likely find it and learn from it. That's true. The only, the only thing though, is I have to, if I record my prep sessions, I have to post it after the game and not before the game. Yeah, and I won't be live streaming any of the, the prep sessions. Yeah, that would be that would be a little too trusting. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um. So we have a couple questions related to YouTube um, content because um obviously this is a um, a subject that you know a decent a bit about. So uh, the first one is from supporter of the podcast uh, Bradley Dupree, uh, who asks the chess instruction and content on YouTube, including your videos, are entertaining, educational, and high quality. Given the amount of great content, do you have any YouTube video recommendations or or strategies or themes to filter to specific content that would be most helpful for an adult improver in the 1300 to 1500 range? Yeah, that's a tough question. Um, the, the problem with YouTube is there's so many videos out there. So filtering is actually, a, I guess, a key strategy in finding what you're looking for. Um, I would say that it's probably the first step is to identify what channels you like the best or what what sort of content creators or lecturers you resonate the most with. And everyone's different in this regard. So I think it's important uh, to explore, like check out different channels, see see what um, what sort of content creators are are, are um, resonating well with your learning style. 
Um, one channel I can recommend is St. Louis Chess Club, who, I mean, they, they just have, I think, I think over a thousand videos of, of so many different lectures um, who've, who've been coming to the club over the years. And then once you find a channel, I would recommend using the filter within the channel. Like anytime you're viewing a channel on YouTube, you can search for keywords in that channel. And then, then it's a matter of, of searching what you want to learn. Um, like if you go to my channel and you type in London opening, you'll, you'll have at least like 10 videos to learn from. Um, and the same applies to, to any other channel. Um, for the, I guess for the 1300 to 1500 range, uh, another YouTuber that comes to mind and actually one YouTuber who I've, I've been very inspired from is John Bartholomew. Yeah. I know he's also been on the podcast and I think he, his content is, is very instructive, especially for that, uh, that rating range. Yeah. I was going to mention his, uh, climbing the rating ladder and climbing the tactics ladder series is like, he's got huge archives online. And if you search for those, like, I mean, when he's doing, you know, 2,500 level tactics, it can be, I would imagine hard to keep up. I mean, it's hard for me to keep up. Uh, but when he's going through and you see the lower rated stuff, it's sort of like right at the edge of your comprehension. Um, so yeah, that, that might be a good avenue to explore. And I, like you, am a huge fan of, uh, the stuff he puts out. Oh yeah, for sure. And, um, I mean, he has also like a, a very large archive of just like blitz games he plays. And he, he mentions the opening in every single game that he plays, um, at least in his previous videos. So you could just like go to his channel, type in the, the name of an opening you want to learn and, and see his commentary in those specific games. Cool. Well, hopefully, Bradley, that is helpful. Um, and I've got one more YouTube-related question. This one, I have a feeling there might be like some inside joke I'm not totally privy to, um, <laughs> but wouldn't be the first time. So it's from uh, Aaron Wafflart. Thank you for the support, Aaron. Aaron. And he says, hey, Ben and Eric, thanks for the YouTube videos, Eric. I've added the London Fog to my drinks repertoire at the end of last year. Do you have any unusual drink recommendations for a drinker under the 1400 rating level? Thanks. P.S. I tried the scotch, but I always lose focus out of the opening. So I think mm. I get that one at least. I think I get the end of it. Um, I mean, yeah, the, the scotch is a, a very playable opening, but in terms of a drink during a chess game, I think it's slightly dubious. Yeah, been there and done that. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's enjoyable, but yeah, maybe not the highest quality chess. Um, I don't know what the London Fog is. Have you? T are you familiar, Eric? Oh, of course. Yeah, it's. Um, I I think I've mentioned on my stream before. It's probably one of my favorite drinks to get at Starbucks. Ah, and okay. It's not it's even alcohol. Things, no, it's not alcohol. It's um, it's not even on the Starbucks menu, but essentially, it's a, it's a tea latte. So it's um, it's a latte made with like I think Earl Grey tea or some kind of black tea, and um, it's really good. Like, not it's a little bit sweet, but um, very calming, and it's not a bad drink to accompany you during a chess game. Um, it's also, it shares a name with my favorite opening too. So it's just another reason to, to like it. Yeah. I, yeah. And in terms of, uh, if you were going to actually be, con I'm, I'm not sure what Aaron's getting at. I mean, I think he's mostly having fun here, but if you're, if you're going to be having, if you're going to be drinking something during a game, obviously caffeine is performance enhancing. I would say alcohol is, uh, performance debilitating for the most part. Um, mm -hmm. But I would my personal guess and experience is that wine is probably the least uh, destructive 
Um, I, you know, I've sat in beer gardens on sunny days and played Blitz with Mike Klein in Prague. That was a fun day. Um, the Blitz got worse and worse for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but with wine, I feel like it uh, it hits you a little slower. So I think that that's, uh, that's the uh, official perpetual chess recommendation for what yeah, to drink. Yeah, man, I, I think you might have way more experience. When it comes yeah, to I remember you saying you're not a big drinker, so... Yeah. But he is asking for unusual drink recommendations. So there is another one that comes to mind, which like there's only one place in the world that you can get it. And I've actually had it. Um, there's this cafe restaurant in Sydney, Australia, and it's called Queenside. Not sure if you've heard of it, but um, it's a chess theme. Oh, the one with uh, the names like, stuff after chess personalities. Like, exactly. Yeah. Yes. So they have a, a mocktail named after me called awesome. the Rosen. And um, I actually went there uh, in December and I, I tried my own drink. Um, the owner actually opened the restaurant like during the, the holiday week so I could visit and, and, and try it. And it's um, it is a very unusual drink. Um, it has like rose petals and rose water and yuzu lemons and soda water. But, uh, but it was really good. Very refreshing. Did you talk to them at all about what ins- like how they so they decide they're going to name a drink after you and then oh I guess the the rose theme is what they went with I think yeah the the rose so rose water and rose petals I guess is somehow related to to my last name <laughs> okay cool yeah well obviously if I ever make it back to Australia um I'm I'm gonna gonna stop yeah if by. you're a chess player in Australia you you should at least try uh as Queenside in uh, in Sydney at least once. Yeah, yeah, you got to support the uh, chess, um, the 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 places that promote chess like that. Um, all right, Eric, I have one or two more content creation questions for you. I've okay. I've been waiting for a guest who does some Twitch streaming. Um, somehow, I haven't had as many as you would think, because mm-hmm. I mean, as as regular listeners might have heard me say, I mean, a, a good part of the reason this podcast exists is because. I felt kind of left out of the online chess community because I'm basically never at my computer anymore. Um, even though in when I was younger, I was at my computer all the time and would have been watching chess content all the time. Uh, but now I'm mostly running around and chasing my children and working and all that. So I barely understand Twitch. I've probably watched a few hours total of it in my life. And mm-hmm. just in case there's anyone even less educated than I am, I guess... I guess we should first define that Twitch is basically the medium for live streaming, whereas exactly you, yes, whereas YouTube is more for you can live stream on YouTube, but it's more commonly associated with archived videos, and Twitch mm-hmm. also archives the videos, but it's more commonly associated with live streaming. But there's a couple basic terms regarding Twitch that I've always I'm not crystal clear on what they mean. So what does it mean to gift a sub? Gift a sub. Okay, so yeah. Th- you're exactly right. There's all this like terminology that if you're not familiar with the platform or a community, it can be confusing at first. So on Twitch, there's um, there's basically different ways to support streamers. And one of them is by subscribing to the streamer. And um, to subscribe to a streamer, you can either do it uh, through Amazon Prime. You can subscribe, I think, to one streamer for free every month. Or you, um, I mean, the standard way is to, to pay $5 every month. And it has a similar model to, to Patreon, where you, you pay some monthly amount and you, you support the content creator. Um, to gift a sub is to basically 
pay for another user's subscription. So it's it's a very like generous action when when you just you you give another user kind of this uh, the status um, showing that they're supporting a, a streamer and, and subscribers on Twitch uh, sometimes can get like special privileges or access. I mean, the big thing is anyone who subscribes to my channel has access to all of my custom emotes. So all these like little symbol things, um, which I, I have a whole set of them kind of designed around my brand. Um, another thing that a lot of streamers do, including myself, is they have streams kind of designated for subscribers. So anyone who has been gifted a sub or who um, who subscribes on their own um, will have the chance or will have a better chance to play me in, in some of these like subscriber streams. So it's a way to, to get more involved and to, to support, uh, support us chess streamers or, or any streamer to continue creating content. So, the, so that's helpful. Um, and that was basically my, my supposition, but how mm-hmm. do, who gets it? How do you decide who gets the subs that are gifted if they go to another person? Oh, so you, so there's, there's actually a couple different ways you can gift a sub on Twitch. So one way is just to basically select the user, say that I want to give a, the user a subscription to whatever channel, and usually you do it while the streamer is live. Okay. Um, on most streams, if someone subscribes during a live stream, it will pop up on stream that so-and-so has subscribed, and the streamer will kind of give a shout-out to whoever that is. Another way to do it um, is what's called, I forget the exact term it's either like sub bombs or like community subs where you gift like five can gift between five to a hundred random yeah. users subscribers I've, to a channel that was my next question yeah so, oh so it's random okay so it's it's random when you gift like these yeah these uh sub bombs and um that of course can be a lot more costly but i mean it's uh it's really cool when it happens because whoever's gifting like so many subs, I mean, gets a lot of love uh, is an ongoing chat. So um, I think it, it, it makes the community better and it's, uh, it's, it's a very nice way to have grow, grow the community and um, get more people engaged. Yeah. And it would be significant revenue for the streamer, right? For That's true. So I should mention, um, Unlike Patreon, Twitch does take, I think, a larger percentage of the like the revenue. So I think it's split fifty fifty. So every sub is closer to like two fifty. Um, for yeah, two dollars and fifty cents um, per month, but yeah. still nice support. Yeah, no, I mean, and probably honestly, I mean, probably it ends up being more remunerative than a lot of Patreon uh, um, content creators w- would get. Um, for sure. Uh, and listeners, I'm sorry if I sound like just like a terribly out of touch old man, but I have to tell you, this is how I feel when I, whenever I turn on Twitch, I'm just like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And it, it can be hard to figure out. So, um, last one. And again, I think I know, but I want to make sure I'm not missing something. What is rating? Uh, so this is another thing unique to live streaming because on YouTube, um, you can watch whenever you want, but on Twitch, when someone's doing a live stream, everyone's watching live. So when they end the stream, 
there could be a, like a large group of people who who might not be sure what to watch next. So a raid is when you end your stream and then you send all of the people who were concurrently watching your stream to another channel who is live streaming. Okay, that was so that was example, what I thought. Yeah. Yeah, so for example, I was streaming the other day and it was around the same time that Nakamura was streaming. And Nakamura ended his stream. There were maybe 1000 to 1500 people watching his stream and um he raided me. So yeah. I've like within the span of a few seconds I got like a thousand more viewers watching me at the same time. So it was slightly frightening, but it was really cool. Yeah, he seems to really be enjoying uh, streaming on Twitch. Oh yeah, for sure. And he's I'm I mean he's grown immensely over the last uh last whatever, like six months to a year since he started. So that's great to see. Yeah, it's 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 definitely good for chess and obviously uh you can learn a thing or two watching him play chess. Um, for sure. So in terms of uh so when, when we talked last, I believe it was uh it was late two thousand seventeen, mid to late two thousand seventeen, I think it was August. Um you were you had finished up college but you were kind of plotting your next move you were trying to decide like um am am i gonna get some sort of full-time job or lead the life of a digital nomad which obviously would involve a lot of uh the the chess stuff that you're doing so and we were talking just for a second uh off air before we started recording and you were you were saying how it was funny to sit back and listen to that so how uh how has how have things let me try to phrase this correctly. How um, how has uh the way your your professional career is shaping up so far um, conformed to your expectations back then? Sure. I mean, a lot has changed over the last uh, couple of years, and I was listening to my my first interview on perpetual chess uh, last night, and I think it was done. I, I looked up the exact date. It was done August eleventh, twenty seventeen. So approaching two years ago. And at that time, I was I had mentioned that I was getting really interested in, in like researching the digital nomad lifestyle. And um, that was like essentially around the beginning where I, I started traveling um, just a ton. And for for two years, I I lived pretty nomadically, like taking taking a handful of Europe trips and then Australia and Southeast Asia. Um, like the last two winters, I've been taking advantage of the, the warmer weather on the other side of the world. And during that time, I mean, I've, I've been doing a lot of different sort of chess-related jobs. Um, and that's spanned from, okay, private coaching, online uh some freelance like photography, web design, web development, and then then uh, also growing my my brand online. And I, I don't think we we even talked about uh, like Twitch or YouTube in our last interview um, because I I wasn't even on my radar. But um, yeah, I started Twitch like started doing content for Twitch and YouTube in I think the the winter of 2017, and that's been a big part of. Um, not only like just my enjoyment, but also uh, just another revenue stream too. So sometimes it's hard to tell people what I do for a living because there's probably 
at least five to six like main revenue sources. But um, I mean, recently it's been sustainable and it's been growing. So I'm uh, I'm very grateful to to be where I am, where I can you know, do what I love for uh, for work. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's well deserved. I mean, you have a good communication style. You're you're a good teacher, and you're you're down to earth. So, um, I I am other than the fact that I'm a dinosaur who doesn't understand Twitch, I'm not surprised. Well, I think there, okay, there's a lot of people like like you. So it's it's good that you're um, you're providing the platform to, to help other people who are maybe less familiar with this sort of uh, this sort of medium. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Thanks for the words. Yeah, yeah, because I'm like, I'm like, I feel like I'm like one step removed from understanding it. But then, of course, there's the the older generation where, like, you know, I was listening to um, David Letterman was on the Mark Maron podcast recently, um, and you know, that's he. Mark Maron is one of my favorite interviewers, and uh, whenever there's an interesting guest, I try to tune in. And obviously, Letterman's a comedy legend, um, but. David Letterman, like half the time was like, what's a podcast? How do you listen to a podcast? You know, um, and, and obviously there's a whole generation of people who it's becoming less and less uh, common as more people discover them. But there's there's still people out there. I mean, it's it's such a weird word and it, it has its own vocabulary, too, although probably not to the extent that Twitch does. So, yeah, every once in a while, we just have to make sure everyone's um, on the same page. Sure. I mean, it's hard to keep up these days because uh, especially like the media landscape is continually evolving. Maybe a couple years ago, Twitch was a very, uh, very maybe strange platform to provide chess content on, because um, more towards uh, more geared towards video games. Um, but this is a case for just so many like social media platforms, and sometimes you just have to like seek out where the tension is, and then pursue the platforms where uh, where people are are giving their attention. Yeah, chess.com seems to be devoting a lot of resources to like uh outreach through Twitch. Oh, definitely with uh with good reason. I mean, their partnership has been uh and it's been amazing for the overall community for um last couple of years and they've done, I mean, just so many events and they've gotten so much exposure, especially using the resources that Twitch has. So and I, I feel like this is just the beginning, so we see. It'll be cool to see where uh, where this goes over the next few years. Yeah, it will be interesting. Do you think that that Twitch alone, like, would that have the potential to just be your one and only gig, um, if if it continued to grow? Well, I wouldn't want it to. Like, I wouldn't want any one thing to be like my one like gig or source of revenue. I think it's it's good to have variety. Um, but it's definitely something that I intend to like, pursue further and, and try and keep growing. Um, cause I mean, so far it's just, um, it's been a steady uphill trend and, um, and yeah, it seems like the overall, overall platform is growing and the chess community within the platform is also growing. Cool. Sounds like a good place to be. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's talk some chess improvement, Eric. So the first time we had you on, I did re-listen. So I, I'm not. I re reheard your one book recommendation and reheard you say you're not a big book person. But oh, man, I'm trying to remember what the book recommendation was. I, I didn't get to the point at that point in the interview. Oh, okay. Was it? It was imagination and chess. Yep. Right? Which okay. uh, was echoed subsequently by none other than uh, GM Jakob Agard. So you're. Yeah, in, I listened to that one. Yeah, you're in heady company. 
I, I remember, I think even like when you interviewed him, you mentioned my name in relation to that book. So I was, yeah, because uh, it, I was yeah, I remember. I remembered, yeah, because um, that that was the only person. I mean, it's uh, it's rare by this point that someone recommends a book that I had not heard of. So that that's why I remembered that one. And yeah, I need to get my hands on on that book. Um, re-listening to you talk about it made me even more um more eager to do so. And as I recall, even though it's out of print, it's not like one of those insanely expensive uh, out of print chess books. Right. Um, so anyway, we're not going to ask you for book recommendations, but since you are working with your students fairly frequently, one thing I thought you might be able to talk about with some authority is, um, are, are you noticing any common mistakes in your students' games? Is there like a theme that you find yourself repeating more than any other when you analyze games of your students? That's a good question. Um, you're making me think. And honestly, at least in recent times, I've been working with a lot more, a lot more adult players and a lot, a lot of like beginner players too, who find me through YouTube and are passionate about chess, but have no tournament experience and just play online. So the, the answer I might give for this is geared towards the more beginner players. Um, but yeah, like in, in terms of common themes, I think, I mean, one thing is just identifying the opponent's threat. And this can happen across all different levels, including including my level. Like I've, the recent tournament I played, I've, I was, the majority of my stakes were involved not, not seeing my opponent's threat early enough. Um, but especially in, in the lower levels, I mean, most games are determined by by tactics and by blunders. And if you're able to minimize blunders um, as much as possible, then you'll you'll just win more games. So I think this is one thing to to work on. And it's not easy because you have to like shift your perspective. A lot of players perhaps focus too much on what they want to do, what their plans are. But you also have to look from the other side. And um, I think to become a good player, you have to to always be aware of what the opponent wants to do and have the habit that even before you start looking for your own moves, you want to be aware of your opponent's ideas and resources and then adapt your plans and also identify whether or not your, your opponent's ideas and resources are actual threats and then um, then decide what to do accordingly. Yeah, as someone who teaches primarily elementary school kids, that's some... I mean, that's like 70% of what I say, you know, <laughs> like, it's just you, you cannot harp on it enough. So it's interesting to hear you say, like, even at, at your level, you feel like, I mean, obviously, at, at a more advanced level of the same problem, you, you find yourself um, that deciding a lot of your games. Yeah, I think that one area for, I mean, I know that these things exist, but I feel like there should be more training exercises of just identifying your opponent's threat, because it's, it's so common at the what you alluded to about if if you're presented a tactic from the 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 winning side's perspective um or if you're playing your game it's so like so so often players spot tactics from their own perspective but they would miss it from the opposite perspective and I know like the steps method has you know stop the checkmate and identify the threat and I know the the Susan Polgar uh sort of more beginner level books um, have a focus on defensive chess, but overall, I feel like there could be more online training of um, 
uh, stopping what your opponent's trying to do. Sure. Now, you're actually making me remember a book that uh, that Susan actually used. It was a book more for geared for players on the Webster team. Um, I just did a search here. It's called Recognizing Your Opponent's Resources huh. by Mark Dvoretsky. Maybe it's wow. been recommended before. Okay. Your, your no, I mean, all he wrote so many books that, I mean, obviously his name comes up practically every week, but I don't, I've never seen that book and I don't believe it's been recommended. Yeah, I'm uh, looking at like just uh, the preview here, like table of contents. And it, it seems like, I mean, he's such a renowned author. And um, I remember going through some exercises in that book and they, they were quite difficult. But um, I think for probably any player above 2000, this could be a, a, a useful book to, to train with, especially if, if, if recognizing your opponent's resources uh, is, a, is a weakness. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's good advice for for stronger players listening. Um, and we have a chess improvement question uh, from another supporter of the podcast from Daniel Gell. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, hello, Mr. Rosen. Um, he says, I wanted to get your thoughts for someone with limited time to study. Is quality a better use of one's time over quantity? For example, if you have one hour to sit down and study a chess book, is it better to go through as much as you can reasonably or to pick up new ideas quicker? Or is it wiser to take the variations slowly and try and absorb them in your brain? For myself personally, I want to get through things at a good pace, though. Though I also want to make sure I'm actually learning the material. Sure, that's a good question. Um, I think, I mean, the immediate answer that pops up for me would be qual- like focus on quality. If you're going to try and cram in like a whole annotated game in a short amount of time it's going to be harder to retain that information so i think one one element in finding an answer to this question is is understanding yourself and every player is different and not only in the the way they play but also the way they they learn and study so you have to kind of learn what works for you if it takes you a bit longer to perhaps remember opening lines or internalize like middle game ideas or uh, or patterns then you definitely want to take your time to uh to absorb the information so it just it, it can be retained in your long-term memory um but i think there's other other factors to consider when studying i mean one thing is kind of active learning versus pass- passive learning if you're going to pick resources where you're just maybe act or passively consuming, like watching a video might not be as useful as trying to solve positions over the board and then going back and, and reading, reading through annotations or, uh, or looking at solutions. So again, every player is different. And I think, uh, one, one important thing to become better at, uh, at anything is light in, in life is to understand how you learn most effectively and then then pursue kind of the habits or kind of training routines that uh that best fit for your learning style yeah that's that's good advice yeah and it's funny that you should mention the active versus passive uh learning thing because i i had the same thought uh circling back to um to bradley Japri's question when he was asking about finding the appropriate uh youtube videos for 1300 to 1500 range players because i was sort of thinking you might want to be careful with how much youtube you consume um 
as I mean, and he might just be asking about that specific aspect of chess improvement because certainly it it has a place uh, within one's uh, overall chess time, but but it is it can be passive. I know that speaking for myself, um, uh, if I'm watching like an instructive video, um, I can sort of zone out and not even realize it for a couple minutes and. If you're sitting there doing tactics or even reading a book, um, a chess book especially, uh, that isn't as common, at least for me. Sure. And actually, one book that comes to mind that um, I consumed recently, I actually got the audiobook version of it, which is maybe not directly related to chess content, but definitely mentions chess. It's called The Art of Learning. Oh, the Josh Waitzkin, yeah. And um, it's actually, it's one of my favorite books. And it, it talks a lot about just how, how to approach the, the learning process. And um, Josh Waitzkin is just incredible, has an incredible life story, but also articulates um, like very complex concepts in his book very well and talks about his road to mastery in chess, but also in mar- martial arts. Yeah, and, um, a lot of what he talks about in the book is uh, is really fascinating. Yeah, for any younger or non-American listeners, um, Josh Waitzkin is about my age. He's about forty-two, and in in his teenage years, he was like the uh, the American chess hope. I mean, he was mm-hmm. the always in the top two or three for his age, and. Um, you know that was at a time when Amer- when the United States was not producing many grandmasters at all, and he was a uh, sort of uh, prominent hope to to attain that rank. And then, of course, the reason he kind of became um, orders of magnitude more famous is his father, Fred Waitzkin, wrote the book Searching for Bobby Fischer, which subsequently became a movie. So there's a lot to explore there. But yeah, the book alone is is uh, a great read for anyone interested in learning who has not already read it. Um. Okay, um, and I think we just have one more, um, one more listener question, which we've already touched on some, um, mm-hmm. but I do want, but I do want to get it in. So, um, Chris Wayne, Chris Wayne Scott, who I know, uh, you know well. He uh, he was mm-hmm. one of the people who mm-hmm. told me you would be a good guest before the first time you came on. So, shout out to Chris for being right about that. Um, he says, International Master Rosen, sorry, he just wants to be formal for once. Uh, it seems like over the past few years, you develop a reputation as something of a jack-of-all-trades within the chess world. Player, streamer, coach, photographer, announcer, etc. My question is, how do you balance all those aspects of your career while also setting goals for yourself within those various roles? Follow-up question, could you maybe do a little less well as a coach so that I stop constantly losing games to one of your students? yeah that's um i guess there's a few things to try and address there um i guess first of all i'll tell him that uh trying to to blame the coach of one of your opponents is not the best way to (laughs) to improve your own game yep gotta take Um, responsibility for your results chris (laughs) but uh but yeah no I've, i've seen a few of chris's games just through through uh my students and um yeah there there's some things he has to work on but um yeah hopefully he can have some uh some growth mindset if he loses and hopefully he can <laughs> learn but uh yeah to try and answer the other question like in terms of balancing so many different things 
I think uh, just having structure in place, having routines and staying organized is, is very important. Um, and like this question kind of reminded me of like the last maybe month or so, uh, at least in early May, where I, I took, it was kind of the, the first three weeks of May, I photographed at the Pro Chess League finals. I did commentary for the U.S. chess Twitch stream in Nashville at the, the K6 Nationals. And then right after that, I played the, the St. Louis Norm Congress. And then in between, I was streaming and teaching. So you know, I was doing all these different things, um, like a lot of different chess-related jobs um, in just a very short period of time. And it helps to, to have a calendar. I, I use Google Calendar for myself. And I just block out certain times. And um, I'm working on, on having like a more designated schedule for streaming. So I, I know what times of, of day or times of the week that I'll stream, what times of the week that I'll, I'll be giving lessons, and then, um, then scheduling around that. Um, and one tool that I'll mention that mm, kind of relates to this, and it's just uh, it's very practical to, um, to keeping your schedule organized, especially for, for any chess coaches out there. Um, and so it's a service that we actually use to schedule this, uh, this interview. It's called Calendly.com. Yeah. And um, essentially, I control all of my availability, and I allow people to book like meetings or lessons with me. So it's been, uh, it's been very useful, especially to avoid like all the back and forth that you might have with, with emails in, in terms of scheduling. Yeah, I should really, I should really get on that. You definitely impressed me. I mean, you set the record for my my longest in advance scheduled interview, um, and and you were legit busy. Like we scheduled this like five weeks out or something, and you were legit busy. I mean, obviously you had a tournament, so that's sort of like an extenuating circumstance. Sure, but but still, just the as I said to you in an email, like the level of organization. Uh, and planning was quite impressive. And uh, you and uh, you and Elshan Moradiabadi were the the two people who who impressed me by using Calendly. And I, I definitely need to get on that for for scheduling uh, interviews. It's interesting. I think I may have introduced Elshan to Calendly. We we talked uh, a few months ago, and I, I remember bringing it up. Oh, funny. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things. Like it doesn't take so much effort. Like maybe the initial setup it could take like an hour and then then every month or so i'll sit down for like 20 to 30 minutes and just map out my availability for the month but uh yeah it just it it makes life so much easier and it it just it streamlines all the kind of the the scheduling for for people so it's a nice tool cool okay and getting back to chris's question um so is there a particular aspect in terms of all your sort of all the hats you wear professionally is there any one thing you're working on or emphasizing right now um that's a good question because things just keep changing like when i was traveling i was focusing more on just like the the events i was attending like pro chess league finals it was um it was a lot of networking with people and then of course taking pictures and editing. And then like the weekend in Nashville, it was uh, just all like chess commentary uh, for the stream. Um, so sometimes it depends on what, like what the timing is. But um, I mean, right now I, I actually, I really enjoy the variety and it's, I think 
it's important to me that I'm not doing any one thing so much that I'm keeping the balance and, and keeping, keeping things fresh. Um, I think this is one of the reasons why I really don't want to take like a normal full-time job, like the standard nine to five job where I'm, I'm just maybe focused on, on one thing throughout the day. Cause I, I do enjoy the variety. I, I like the days where maybe I have a few lessons. I, I do a stream. I, I reserve time for myself to, to go for runs or, or workouts. So, um, so yeah, just having a, a balance I think is, is really important. Jack of all trades and uh, um, a master of chess. Yeah, well, well, thanks. <laughs> um, uh, one th- one uh, topic that I almost let you out of here without addressing, but remember just in time, is you've got to tell the stories of, uh, of beating Magnus online. I mean, it's such a feather in your cap. You were on the front page of Reddit. Um, so yeah. so I, I imagine a lot of people listening might have seen, especially the first one that the red, the one that was uh, linked in Reddit, but but why don't you tell our listeners what about those experiences? Sure. Um, well, I guess I'll start with like the first time I played him was maybe just less than a year ago, and he plays usually on a monthly basis in the Lee Chess Titled Arena, and it's a it's a one minute tournament or usually just a bullet tournament designated for title players. And very often he'll play just on his like his known account, and he actually has several known accounts. But the first time I played him, I didn't know I was playing him. He was playing anonymously. It was actually the very first game in that title arena, and it was some it was some name. I think it was Man with a Van right. that he was playing under, and it was just a normal bullet game. I was streaming myself, so it's all recorded. And I won, and then I moved on. And then I think like midway through the tournament or after the tournament, it was revealed by like the Lee Chess moderators and um, also the official stream uh, Chess Network, who's doing commentary for the event. That man with a van was Magnus Carlson, and uh, then I had to go back and rewatch the game with him. I streamed, and it was uh, like I was. It was very nonchalant when I beat him. But uh, but yeah, then I, I posted it to YouTube, at least that clip. And the YouTube video title was, I think, called Unknowingly Beating the World Chess Champion. And then a few months later, it was picked up on Reddit. And it's like, Reddit is like this whole aggregate place. I don't know how many, um, many people are out of touch who listen to this podcast with with reddit but um yeah it's good good for you to explain it yeah it's it's where you can upload content and then um any content that reaches the front page of reddit usually needs to have like tens of thousands of upvotes and then anything on the front page of reddit usually gets uh hundreds of thousands of of impressions if not millions of impressions um so i i usually check reddit mm, i don't know daily or every other day but um, it was during, during my time in London in November, I was just scrolling through Reddit just on my app, and I saw my video was posted. Um, and my Reddit feed, it, it, it shows posts from the chess subreddit. So I thought that um, the post was just like in the chess subreddit, but then I looked closer and I saw it had like close to 50,000 upvotes. It was on the front page. And like the viewership on YouTube for that week was uh, was pretty insane. Like it was 
maybe 300,000 new views in a day. And um, and people were messaging me, like old friends who don't even play chess were messaging me hmm. saying that they, they saw me on Reddit. So it was really interesting. Yeah, it's pretty pretty funny. Um, yeah. I mean, and of course, they had to throw a little shade your way. They called it like, what was it? Small time chess streamer beats the world champion or something like that. Like small time chess streamer enters <laughs> anonymous online tournament and beats the world champion. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you weren't so small time, but I guess in comparison to, to Magnus Carlsen and certainly thanks to that headline, you're, you're bigger time now. So, but, but yeah, to, <laughs> to me, that made it even funnier. Well, um, to be fair, at least for that tournament, it was reported that he was playing from his phone. So okay. maybe there was some sort of handicap. Yeah. But also, even then, I think he took, he finished in like the top three in that tournament. Yeah. So. But also, yeah, I mean, I'll do respect. And I think you, you said this in, in your video yourself. Like, it's it's not the same thing. If When you don't know you're playing the champion, it's That's like true. when they don't have that aura, you know, when you don't like, uh, what did they say about Kasparov? Like, you know, you you uh, you you can like feel the brain cells churning from across the board against him. Uh, the, the neurons firing, I should say. Um, when you don't have that feeling, I feel like obviously, I mean, it, it's it's still an incredible accomplishment. But that brings us to the next time um, where you this time you played Magnus and you knew it was him. Yeah, uh, and that was in another Lee Chess titled arena. That was actually in a Chess Nine Sixty arena where the time control was two plus one. And I feel like that game was probably just more impressive, just because. I couldn't rely on opening preparation, and there was increments. Um, and the game itself was was interesting. I should note I also lost to to Carlson one time between the two times I beat him. So my my current overall score against him, at least in the online bullet, is is two to one. Oh, you're gonna have to avoid him from now on, Eric. <laughs> That's true. Just retire. <laughs> if you chess. get paired with him, just drop out of the tournament. Right. Um, but anyway, continue with your story. But yeah, the game itself, I mean, it was, I, I knew I was playing him. It was his doctor and like Durstein account. And um, I was just trying to be solid. And, and sometimes like one strategy, at least for playing players that are, are much, much higher rated than you is just be solid and, and wait for them to over push. And um, somehow the strategy worked where I, I held my own. And then at some point he, he made some like dubious sacrifice and I, I was able to fend off the attack. And then like the very final moment in that game, he played some like very dirty yeah. bullet moves. Uh, yeah, I was gonna ask which about maybe that. you saw. Yeah. Where, yeah, he did one of the you you go ahead. Yeah, like he he checks my king from far away with his queen. And then across the board, he's also attacking my queen. And sometimes in bullet, especially in like a, a time scramble situation. It, it can be easy to miss these types of things. You have to be very aware. But I was um, I was very focused that game. I, I felt yeah. like I was in very good form and, and saw it coming beforehand. Yeah, so. the long-range tactics. The queen on F1, your queen was on F8, and the king was right. on like A6 or something. So it's like hard to, to look in both directions at the same time. Classic hustler's trick. Exactly. Um, That's why, why board vision is just so important. Yeah, and that reminds me, speaking of... Um, of hustlers, Eric. Uh, just bear. I just wanted to to mention to listeners who might have heard the episode with Jonathan Korbla. Um, I just wanted to. So he's like the game show wizard, and this is another one sure. that goes way back. But mm-hmm. I just wanted to mention that he has a show um, that's going to be on starting on June tenth um, on the Game Show Network. So oh, I don't wow. I don't have all the details, but you know here 
on Perpetual Chess. We want to keep up with the projects of uh, past guests, and this is a, an amazing feather in his cap. And you know, we want to see the chess world get out there and and uh, you know put a um, raise the, raise the reputation of chess. Um, you know, he'll be associated as a chess player, despite his also being a trivia wizard. So anyway, I'm going to link to that in the show note. But I did just want to mention it while we're recording. Um, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah it's, and it's a chess-related game show. Uh, no, it's a regular oh, yeah. trivia game show. Ah, uh, I see. It's one of these like Stump the Expert type formats, I mm-hmm. believe. Um, so John will be the expert, but he's he's a natural-born game show host. So um, nice. uh, I'm I'm excited to see uh, to see how it goes. Um, okay, so Eric, is there anything else we need to discuss? Did we get everything? Uh, that's a good question. Um. I, I prepared like this document beforehand. I think we got through pretty much everything that I had in mind. Awesome. Um, I guess I wanted to ask you because I asked you this last time, um, like who's your dream podcast guest? Uh, and you, last time you said Judith Polgar. And yeah. Then you Judith Polgar. I think I got two. I, I since I re-listened to that, I think I might have mentioned Hikaru also. So yeah, two of those were attained. Uh, I think I also mentioned Maurice Ashley, who continues to be evasive. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Maurice, but you know we'll make that happen someday. But I've been updating the list because as I do, I mean mental list, because as I do more podcasts, I gain more perspective on what my favorite type of guest is. And I've mentioned this before, but I really enjoy the the um, the older legends of the chess world. I just feel like mm-hmm. they have so many stories that. Um, that you know some of them have been written some of them have been told some of them have not been told but just to to hear their voices and to hear their stories so i'm currently reading uh timmons titans uh upon the recommendation of uh john hartman among others have you read that eric i have not no it's absolutely incredible um I mean, uh, John Hartman had mentioned that he's the rare chess player who's really a writer, and that's really what it feels like. It's like uh, it's like if Gabriel Garcia Marquez wrote a chess book, uh, like a book of his chess memories. I mean, it's I, I really can't sing its praises highly enough. So it, now that I'm reading Tim and Titans, he's basically shot to number one or two on the power rankings. Um, and the the person that he's right there with is Boris Spassky. <laughs> so mm. so okay. So those are my two absolute dream guests. Um, I mean, uh, and I think I put it back to you last time too, but have, have you thought of anyone new that I, I absolutely should be harassing? I, you mentioned Maurice last time, come to think of it. Well, I mean, one person who fits kind of your explanation of a dream guest that I don't think has been on the podcast is Yasser Sarawan. Yeah, and that's, I mean, I haven't, that's primarily my negligence i don't know if he'd do it or mm-hmm. not but i haven't asked him yet so i can't blame him um, and he's just loaded with stories it's yeah like, anytime incredible. you talk with him even casual conversation it's just another amazing story so he's uh he's very high up there and, and people that i would like to see uh interviewed yeah for sure yeah he he's up there for sure and, and listeners will uh we'll make some efforts on uh getting guests like this soon i think uh Spassky is going to be a tough one, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> but beyond sure. that, be the right connections. Yeah. I mean, everyone can only be one degree of separation away in the chess world. So, right. so never say never. All right. Well, Eric, this was a lot of fun. It's really, it's really good to see you doing so well. Yeah. Thanks so much, Ben. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's really cool just listening to the interview two years ago and then coming back today. So maybe in a couple more years, 
there'll be uh, some more to talk about. Yeah, I'm sure there will be. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how our lives develop and how technology has us talking about some other newfangled platform in two years. Um, For sure, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, keep up the good work. So uh, people can follow you on Twitter. They can check out your webpage, subscribe on Twitch. What else should they do? Uh, yeah, subscribe on Twitch, subscribe on YouTube. I think you you mentioned the, the main things. Um, website is imrosen.com. You can Google me and and uh, and find links to, to everything. Yeah. Oh, and last thing, thanks again for for you and uh, Kostya Kovutsky doing the um the report from the World Championship. Um, that that did pretty well for as far as these podcasts go. Uh, a lot of people listen to that and seem to enjoy it. Sure. Yeah. It was uh it was really cool to to report from London. So I guess that makes this my my third time on the podcast. Yeah. So I guess I'm I'm competing with Greg for uh the most appearances. Yeah, Greg and Kostya are mm-hmm. you guys are all uh neck and, and Jan is uh Jan Gustafsson is um is he's been on three times too, I guess. So anyway, mm-hmm. very heated competition. Yeah. <laughs> as long as Greg doesn't win, I'll be happy. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Eric. Well thanks again. Um and yeah, well uh, good luck and we'll be in touch. Okay, thanks so much. Thanks to everyone who helps make Perpetual Chess possible. That includes my producer, Matthew Passy, Geert Vandervelt for supplying the theme music, my wonderful guests, of course. And I also want to thank everyone who helps spread the word about the show, whether it's on Facebook, on Twitter, or on Instagram, telling an actual friend, an actual person about it. Every little bit helps grow the show. But most of all, I want to thank people who support the show financially. Without your financial support, this show would not be possible. I love doing it, but it is a lot of work. So I most of all want to thank Chessable for their support. And I also would like to give extra special thanks to the following people and entities. Quality Chess Books, the Capital City Chess Club, Andrew Bach, Austin Clough, Benjamin Handelman, Kathy Carr, Chad Oliver, Dan O'Hanlon, I am Dimitri Schneider, Greg Shahadi, Guven Manet, Jens Green, John Jernigan, Kelly Palmer, Lone Pine Chess, the Law Offices of Stuart Katz, Sidney Andrews, Thomas Tachenko, and Todd Bryant. And I'd also like to thank the following Patreon partners. You guys are Aaron Wafflart, Ace Vallega, Adam Ralph of ChessEngland.com, Adam Vrancouge, Adrian Gutierrez, Alex Pejas, BetterChessTraining.com, Bill Moran, Brett Howard Lynn, Brett Zeldo, Brian Mullis, Chad Hilton, Chris Balcom, Chris Flanagan, Chris Wayne Scott, Christopher Bumgardner, Christopher Chabri, Christopher Wood, I am Christoph Zalicki, a.k.a. Chess Explained, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Daniel Gell, Daniel Ginsberg, Daniel Lucas of the U.S. Chess Federation, Daniel Naylor, Daniel Schaefer, Dave Saylor, David Cramley of Chessable.com, Dwayne Edmonds, Ethan Smith, I am Elect, Donnie Ariel, the Fox Valley Chess Club of Aurora, Illinois, Frank Tortoris, M.D., Gary Andrews, Gary Lewis, Geert Vandervelt of Chessable.com, Gerard Barda, Giovanni Russo, Greg Natal, Harish Srinivasan, GM Jakob Ogard of Quality Chess Publishing, James Bonastia, Jason Woolham, Jeff Anderson, Jeffrey Martello, John Fernandez, John Fontaine, John Hartman, Jen Shahadi, Jerry Wells, JJ Strand, John Thompson, GM Josh Friedel, Kare Christensen, WGM Katarina Nemsova, 
Kelly Palmer, I am Kostya Kovyutsky, Krishna Gopala Krishnan, Laura Boyavsky, Lucio Casada Silva, Martin Knudsen, Matthew Passi, Matthew Tedesco of SeattleChessMeetup.org, The Mysterious Moon Master 9000, The Legend Grows, Mr. Mike Shahadi, Nate Salon, Neil Bruce, GM Pascal Charbonneau, Passi Passanen, Paul Bain, Paul Clarkson, Paul Sweeney, Paolo Santana, Peter Lux, Peter Merrifield, Randy Temple, Ricky Grijalva, Robert Steiner, Ryan Berg, Scott Doherty, Scott McKinnon, Steiner Lima, WGM Tatyav Abrahamian, Thomas Stanix, Thomas Tachenko, Tim Brennan of TacticsTime.com, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, Tony Rotella, Tyron Price, Victor Vrancouge, William Peterson, Zhao Chang of Chess1000.com, and Zhivko Stoyanov. Thanks, everyone. Catch you guys next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.